Let's look at God's scripture together, okay? Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned how Romans 8 was a high point in this book. I mean, this chapter is a high point in the whole study of Romans. It's a high point in Paul's writing. As Jesse Northcutt said, it's like God takes you up to the mountaintop. And he allows you to look out and you're able to see this panoramic view of God's activity. You're able to get a grasp of what God has done and what God continues to do in our lives. And really, as we get to the final few verses of this chapter... We are both encouraged and challenged, I think, as we are reminded how our God, our God, works it out. So often in our lives, we try to work things out. We assume the control. We, we assume that time of trying to dictate what we are going to do and how we can get through certain circumstances. And yet... It is our God above who can ultimately work out things in our lives. I want you to hear this beautiful description of how Paul talks about God working it out. Verse 28, so many of you have heard this verse over and over, but listen again. Paul says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What an awesome word to us of what God has done and what God will continue to do in our lives. How encouraging, how challenging this passage is. You begin to see that panoramic view that Northcutt was talking about. You can see God's activity. You can see God's work. So often, when we focus down on the small things of life, it is hard for us to see that God is bringing all these things together. That God is actively working on our behalf. It's sometimes hard to see God's activity. But yet, Paul reminds us 
that God is working it out. Notice here in particular, Paul says that God works out all of our stuff. All of our stuff. Now, some of you, you thought I would come up with a more eloquent word than stuff, probably. You were thinking about all the terms. I mean, stuff. Stuff. That Stuff seems to define for me all the things that we experience in this world. We experience some stuff, don't we? I mean, all of us in our lives, personally, as we go out, as families, as we go out, as churches, as we go out, we experience stuff in life. And listen to what Paul says. Paul says, and we know. Listen to that confidence and assurance. He believes in this confident reality that God is going to work. And that word we know, it means we know for a fact. It's not just experiential knowledge. It means that we know for a fact that God is going to do this. It is based on His Word. It is based on His character of who He is that He is going to work. And again, notice, He says, work all things. All things together. That word, work together, it has given us the word today, synergy. In our English, synergy. The idea uh, of together working. That God basically is taking all things and he is working them together. Now, that is the reason I use the word stuff as well. Because the word all is very comprehensive. Would you agree with me? If I say to you that God is working all things, then that means that God is comprehensively working around us. He is dealing with everything in our lives. All things, all our stuff, he is working together. Good, bad, whatever we experience, God works it out. Now, I'm not a fatalist. I'm not some deterministic type of individual that thinks that everything that is accomplished is in God's perfect will. I believe in God's permissive will as well. In other words, when we mess up, when we sin, I don't think that necessarily was God's will for my life. You would agree? When I fall short of the glory, when I mess up, that was not God's perfect intention for my heart and life. Even in the very idea of sin that he's presented here in Romans, of falling short of the glory, it means falling short of his intention. So... Everything that occurs may not be part of God's perfect will, but it is certainly a part of His permissive will, that He allows it to occur. And what Paul says here is that we have a big enough God that He is able to take all of our strengths and all of our weaknesses, all of our victories, all of our defeats, and He is able to bring them together to produce something that is good for us and that brings him glory. Now, when I was younger, I used to stay with my Aunt Key pretty often. My Aunt Key was actually my great, great 
aunt. She was one of those individuals that in my sight, in my view, she was just always older. Have you ever met those people? You can never imagine them younger. They just always, that's the way they were. You think that they were born like in a 90-year-old body. Kind of like Dwight Anderson. Uh, there's some of those. Just that's, You can never think of them younger. Well, my Aunt Key was that way. And she kept me some. A lot of times, I would go to kindergarten. only had a half day of kindergarten. As you can tell, it still impacted me till today. But half day at kindergarten, I was in Miss Black's morning class. I would get out. I would go to my Aunt Key's, get off the bus, go to my Aunt Key's, walk in. We'd eat very quickly. And then we would sit down and receive our spiritual nourishment from this show called Days of Our Lives. And... Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you, but that's exactly what we did. (laughs) And while we watched this television show, my Aunt Key would, she would like crochet. She would crochet. Some of you know what, I mean, she, she would take this thread and she would begin kind of putting it together and weaving it together in a way. Now, you're going to think... Well, I've admitted what I have admitted already, so you're not going to think much less of me after this. But when I would go to the store with my mom, my mom would buy, of course, the groceries for our family, and I would follow her with another grocery cart, and I would get the stuff that was needed for my Aunt Key. So I would go along, and then Mother would give me the check so that I could write it, and I was probably only like 10 years old when I was doing this. And I would write it and everything, and I would pay for Aunt Key's groceries and what she would need at Walmart. And she would always need all this thread. And, and she would want, she would have certain colors written down for me to get. And I would go into Walmart at that time and, and get that, or maybe the Hancock Fabrics, and we'd get that, and we'd and get all the thread. I know that's embarrassing to admit, isn't it? I should have checked my man card already at the door. <laughs> Remember, I was a boy. When I was a boy, I thought as a boy... I put away those boyish things now. <laughs> but, uh, but I would get, and, and there would be all kinds of threads she would get. And sometimes I would pick it up and I would think to myself, this is some of the ugliest thread I've ever seen in my life. And she wants this thread, but I'm going to get it for my Aunt Key. And sure enough, we'd go and I would look up while we were watching the television program. I'd watch, uh, look up and I would see her begin to kind of weave these things together. And some of that stuff that I thought was just ugly somehow she could kind of weave it together with other thread and when she finished it it wasn't bad it looked pretty good she made all kinds of quilts and um, afghans I guess that's what you would call them that I have I still I think have some today that she made and it looked, looked good now I've always thought about that, being able to weave these things together. And that, again, is some of the terminology that Paul uses here. Is that God is able to take every thread of our life. Every thread. And all of us in this place, we have, well, we have some thread that looks good, and we have some thread that doesn't look good. When we look at some of our own fabric when others look at our own our, our fabric and it doesn't look the best, 
and their activities and things that go on in our lives. God has the ability to take the most difficult areas of our lives and the most joyous and weave them together into something that is good, good for us, and something that glorifies Him. Now notice this is a promise to believers in particular. He's not, and notice this, He's not saying that just all things, they just work out. He's not saying that things work themselves out. That's what I'm trying to say. Some of us say, oh, things will just work themselves out. No, 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 no. Things don't work themselves out. God works things out. There's a difference. God is intentional and purposeful in our lives to weave these things together so that He can produce good for those who love Him. Present tense verb. Those who go on loving Him and are committed to Him. Those who are called. Believers in particular. This is a promise to believers. That God can take our lives and He can take everything about us. He can take all of our shortcomings. He can take all of our strengths. And He can put them together into something that is good. And when circumstances come our way. When the stuff of life comes at us. Paul says God can work out our stuff. Whatever it is. Now I could use all kinds of examples. But I would point you to the Old Testament example of Joseph. Many of you know the story of Joseph. He was there with his brothers. This young man who was a great dreamer and had great promise. Out working with his brothers. Talking to his brothers. At some point... Telling his brothers about his dreams. About how one day they would bow down before him. Well, let me say this. If you got a brother and sister, it's probably not the best to tell them that you think you're going to rule over them one day, okay? If you want to create some sibling rivalry, you might just want to stoke the fires that way. And of course, the brothers saw him and his ambition and referred to him as the dreamer who would come. And certainly they began to plot against him, placed him in a pit to leave him. Until one of the more humane brothers recognized that this could be a good business venture for them. And instead of leaving him in the pit, they decided it would be best to just sell him into slavery down in Egypt. How could that be good? For him or for anybody. He sold into slavery. He goes down to Egypt. He continues to keep his testimony for God. He continues to demonstrate himself in honesty and trustworthiness. He continues to try to live what he believes is best to represent the God above. And even in that, he will rise and he will fall because of allegations that come against him. Well, you would think you'd just simply give up. So many of us would have. But he just kept demonstrating 
his own integrity before God. And you know the way the story ends up. Before long, Pharaoh has the dream. Joseph interprets it. And, and Joseph rises to the very top of Egyptian leadership. Joseph becomes second in charge, only behind Pharaoh. Not only in Egypt, but if you were to think about this at the time, especially as famine is occurring and everybody comes to Egypt, you might say that Joseph was second in charge of all the world. Now, try to connect those dots. While he was in the pit, I'm not sure he could see, I'm not sure he could see the seat of authority he was going to sit upon. While he was in the dungeon, while he was in prison, I'm not sure he could see God's plan and purpose out there. But listen, God's purpose for us, God's purpose for us is not dependent on what we can see at the moment. God's purpose for us is dependent on what God can see and how God can move in our lives. And God had a plan for Joseph. And what happens? Joseph is there so that when Israel comes down, remember Israel, the family, the people, God's chosen family, when they come down seeking assistance, needing help because famine had broken out in their land, who was there to help them? Joseph. When they figured out his identity after some time, those brothers were scared, rightly so. They were scared. But then Joseph uttered the words. I call it the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. It's found in Genesis 50.20. Joseph said, You meant this for evil. But God meant this for good. What an incredible statement. To recognize that there could be things in our lives that are great difficulties. That were meant to be evil toward us. That God can take and redeem for, for our good. Well, that Old Testament example is not enough, are you? Think of the supreme example. The supreme example... The cross. The cross. When Jesus was led to the cross, all of those who were participating, all of those who were to have a hand in his crucifixion, I think all of those were doing it for their own selfish, ambitious purposes. I'm not sure any of them said, oh yes, God's using me today to do this. No, the cross was a symbol of terror. It was a symbol of punishment. It was a horrific sight to even think about. You know, it's hard for us to go back to that day and think of how the cross was viewed by most of the people. Because today, we take the cross around and we wear it. It's kind of a symbol of love and forgiveness and symbol of what Christ has done. But back then, that wasn't what it was meant to convey. And Jesus was crucified on the cross. And certainly Satan and his armies were celebrating what had occurred to the Son of God. 
It looked bleak. It looked dark. The disciples hiding behind closed, locked doors. And yet, God had a purpose. God had a plan. And today, what do we do? We run toward the cross. We celebrate the cross. We recognize that God took the cross, which was a symbol of horror, and He has turned it into a symbol of forgiveness for us. And if our God can work that for His glory and for our good, I promise you that God can take whatever comes in your life and He can work it for your good and for His glory. What a tremendous confidence we can have that God works out all our stuff. Whatever it is, Chuck Swindoll encouraged readers to take this verse and this passage in particular and just make brackets around it. And then out to the side, just write down some of those most difficult things that you go through. And then to come back in the days to come and review that and renew that and see how God would Take all things, even that difficult situation, and use it for good and for His glory. Well, those who are called according to His promise. God works out all our stuff. God works out our salvation itself. He works out all our stuff we face. And then if you hear what He says, is that God works out our salvation. He says in verse 29, for whom he foreknew. The language there is that he knew in an intimate relationship even beforehand. Now that doesn't mean that we had spiritual, we had these spiritual entities before we were born. It's not that we've existed for all eternity. When you look at this, it's, it's like he knew who you were going to be and he loved you he, it was like he had a relationship with you before you were even born. How awesome is that of our God? That he would love us that intimately and personally. Even before we were born. He said something very similar to Jeremiah. Remember what he said to Jeremiah? He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nation. And I think that's what he is saying here. Is that God works out our salvation. He knows who we are before we were ever born. And he loved us. He loved us intimately. He set us apart in a sense. He Marked us off is the language that is used. Just as he said to Jeremiah, I have sanctified you for the nations. In other words, I have a purpose for you and I have a plan for you. Those of us who are here in this place, who've accepted Christ and believed in him, and we've done it in our own free will, that we have come to him as he has convicted our, us of our sins, and we have, turned, we have turned our lives over to him. That today, God has a purpose and he has a plan for us. And he knew that plan... Before we were even born. So notice that 
He foreknew us. He predestined us. In other words, he sanctified us. He set us apart. He called us. The effectual call of God upon our lives. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. In other words, God was in charge of this process. God is the one that's always taken initiative in our salvation. By sending Jesus Christ, he took the initiative. As he speaks to us, those of us, again, who are saved, who felt the Holy Spirit work in our lives, he convicted us of our sin. God took the initiative in that. And then we were able to respond in faith and in trust of him. He worked in our lives. All of those verbs there in the original language, well, they're in that past tense. Past tense. Some of you who are grammarians, you like this. The rest of you, you just have to hold on. I'll get back to the rest of it in a couple minutes, okay? It was past tense. It was a decisive act. That's how it's communicated here. Every one of those verbs. I thought it was strange when I got to that last verb, glorified. Glorified? Why would he say that in past tense? And why would he say it in such a decisive way? I I could understand it was in the past that he knew us before we were even born. I I understood the the idea of of setting us aside, of of calling us, of justifying us, those of us who are believers. But now glorification is something that takes place in the future. At least that's what I think about. Earlier in this chapter, a couple weeks ago, I preached about how The sufferings of today's experience do not even compare to what God has for us in the future. So glorification usually takes well, it takes part in the future. So why would he use such a past tense verb here in a decisive kind of verb to express glorification? And as I've studied it and looked at it, basically, I think what he meant was it's as good as settled. It's as good as done in your life. In other words, when he speaks about our glorification, he can speak about it almost in the past tense because it's going to happen. You haven't got to worry about it. When it comes to your salvation, God is working on your behalf. And friends, those of us, who have trusted him and believed in him and we have come to him and given him our lives. Listen, our God is big enough and able enough to take care of the rest of the salvation for us. We will be glorified. We will look just as he is, the son. What is the ultimate purpose? What is the ultimate purpose for every believer to look like the Son, Jesus Christ? That should be your purpose right now, and it is our eventual purpose. Every day you should ask yourself, do I look more like Jesus today than I did yesterday? Because the whole goal of this is to look more like Jesus. To look more like Christ. And what did he say earlier? He said, his work, his plan is for us to be conformed to the image of the Son. When God returns, when Jesus Christ returns, or if 
as he works in our lives. What his plan is, is to ultimately conform us to the image of the Son. John says that we will be like him. What a glorious day. What a glorious day when we look like Christ fully. God works out our salvation. And then those last few verses. God works out our security. Those of us who struggle with doubt and anxiety, please hear this. Please hear what Paul says. God works out your security. And listen to this argument he makes. He says, what then shall we say to these things? God is for us who can be against us. In other words, you should feel secure in who you are in your salvation. Because God is for us. God's for you. Don't live each day as a believer. As a believer now, remember these are believers he is addressing. For believers, we should never live like God's against us. Our God above, he is for us. And he has demonstrated that. Paul says that our God will go to any length to protect us and to provide for us. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He says... If God gave up his own son for you and for me, don't you think that God would do whatever was necessary for his children and his people to protect and to provide? I mean, the father sent his own son, the one whom he loved, whom he had been and perfect fellowship with for all of eternity. He sent him to die, not just a death, but the death of the cross. And if God would do that for you, why would you not believe that God would work to protect you and to take care of you and to work out the rest of your salvation and your security? Octavius Winslow. He said, who, he asked the question, who delivered Jesus to death? Not Judas for money. Not Pilate for fear. Not the Jews for envy. But the Father for love. The Father delivered Christ Jesus on our behalf. And if he'll do that, my friends, he will do anything and everything to protect us and to provide the security. Who's going to bring the charge, Paul says? Who's going to bring the charge? Who's going... A judicial type language here. Who is going to bring the charge against you? When we recognize the scripture, we, we realize that only God is worthy to bring the charge against us to start with, right? Only God is worthy. And against his children, he is not going to bring another charge. Not because of our goodness, not because we somehow 
have become great, but because we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and the righteousness of Christ is now been imputed to us. What's that first verse of chapter 8 say? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We might be called to court. But even when the slanderer brings his accusations against us, we must remember that our Father sits, he sits on the bench. He is the judge. And he says, who's going to bring a charge? No. It's not going to happen in my court. It's not going to happen. And then he says that nothing can separate us from that love. No wedge can be driven. Today, unfortunately, there are too many broken relationships we see in our families and even in our communities. Every day we see division. Every day we do things, others do things that will drive a wedge in our relationships. Paul says, Paul says nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And he gives this exhaustive list. I don't know if you hear Paul here, but I think this is one of his preaching moments. I think this is one of his best preaching moments. Listen to him again. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Basically, all things that Paul had experienced in some form or some fashion already in his life and ministry. He said, should those things or could those things separate us from the love of Christ? In verse 37, he says, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded. The language is that I stand in confidence. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, he said, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor... And just so that he covers everything, he says, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our God works out our security. He takes care of his children. Nothing. Nothing can separate us. This week, some of our families experienced death itself. This week, we have continued to see how difficult things can come against God's people. And yet, Paul says none of that stuff can separate us from that relationship that God has initiated in our hearts and lives. Death itself. For the believer, what does death do? It doesn't separate us from the love of God. You might say in some ways it helps to consummate the relationship. That now we can see him face to face. And enjoy that relationship in a different dynamic than we ever had before. 
Today you may come with different difficulties in your life. You may come celebrating today. But I hope and pray that you would not forget this simple truth. That no matter what you're facing, no matter what is going on in your life, that God, well, He works it out. He works out the stuff. He can weave it together. He works out your salvation. You've come to Him in faith and you've trusted Him. You've believed in Him. Listen, our God, our God grants you the eternal security that you so desperately need so you can serve Him daily. He takes care of you. And He provides for you. This is the picture of God that Paul presents. It's the picture of God that I give you this morning. And thanks be to Him. It is the picture of God that sustains us as we serve Him. May God speak. May He work in your life. May you respond this morning as He works in your life. Let's pray. Father, We do come before you, we praise you, we thank you for your ability to rule and reign, for your ability to take the most difficult of situations, those things that were meant to be evil, and to work them together for the good of your people and for your glory. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here this morning that need to hear this promise once again. And I pray you would encourage them and bless them. And Lord, that you would use this message to help them as they serve you with assurance and confidence as they go out of this place. Father, I pray for the one that's lost here in this place. And God, yes, you knew them before and you have you have worked in their hearts. You have been calling them. You have been seeking them. They've heard your voice, but yet, Lord, they have not responded. God, I pray that they would come. They would give their heart and their life to you this morning. And that they would finally experience the security, the assurance, and the confidence of knowing you in relationship. Now, God, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. We pray. Amen.